Good morning, everyone. If you are really wanting a name tag, like Andrew's got his on this morning, and I've remembered to wear mine and a few others, please see me afterwards, and I'd be very happy to go and purchase it for, for you at a price of $13 for a magnet back. That's my little announcement. <laughs> okay, and it'll, I'll order it on Monday, and you'll have it next Sunday. No, you won't. Yes, you will. <laughs> yes, you will. <laughs> okay, this morning we're reading from Mark... Chapter 15, verses 14, through to chapter 16, verse 8. <clears throat> 42? Mark, chapter 15, verse 42, to six, chapter 16, verse 8. The burial of Jesus. It was preparation day, that is, the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached... Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph bought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in the linen, and placed it in a tomb cut out of the rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early, on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, they, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter. He is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Oh, um, hey, I've, maybe I should have left the kids in for the first part of what I was going to say. If you're happy and you know it... Yeah, okay, okay, it, it's a pretty simple rhyme, right? If you're happy and you know it, and you really want to show it, if you're happy and you know it, clap your hands, yeah, okay, thanks. Um, it, I've never known someone to feel worse after singing that song. Uh, I can see the smiles around that um, people agree. Um, as Christians, though, we aren't always happy, sometimes we're sad, uh, and others can tell can't they, when that's true? But the song's still true. Our bodies reflect how we feel. 
And it feels appropriate that when we feel a certain way, we show it in our bodies. Our bodies are the way we express our mood, our thoughts, our hopes, and the spirit that's inside us. Because just like the song, there's a connection between how we feel inside and how we express that in our body. Some people are tempted to downplay the significance of bodies, but today's passage tells us something different. In God's kingdom, bodies matter. As we come to look at this passage in Mark, we're going to see a whole lot of bodies in action. What these people do with their bodies shows a lot about what they think, about what they believe. And no one more so than Jesus, whose body mattered so much that he came back to get it. As we look at this passage, we'll be thinking about how bodies matter and what that means for our body too. We get a quick recap of what's been happening in Mark chapter 15 from verse 42. Why don't you look with me in your Bibles? It was preparation day, that is the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that Jesus was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. And when he learned that was so, he gave the body to Joseph. Jesus has died. Jesus died on a cross. Jesus' death came pretty quickly, it seems. Crucifixion was a particularly agonising way to die. I'll spare you the details. But the Romans made it even more cruel and agonising. It was pretty grisly stuff because the Romans would be happy to leave the bodies up on the cross for days. To deter other would-be criminals and maintain a cruel state of peace in their society across the empire. Can you imagine a society that leaves corpses strung up on crosses over the hillside? Why is that so abhorrent to us? Well, because we say bodies matter. Our treatment of the body is important even when the body is dead, even when it's a corpse. And for Jews, dead bodies were especially revered, even the bodies of criminals. In the Old Testament law, the Israelites were told not to leave corpses exposed overnight but to bury them. There's a need, therefore, to get Jesus' body down from the cross and quickly. The fact is, it's the day of preparation we read in verse 42. That means the Sabbath is approaching. And the Jews had laws that from the appearance of the first star on the Friday night, the Sabbath had begun and they must do no work for a period of 24 hours. So if Jesus isn't buried by the appearance of the first star on the Friday night, he's going to be hanging on that cross for at least another full day. Bodies matter too much to be left out, exposed like that. But for Jesus' disciples, the situation was tricky, complicated. Jesus was executed on a charge of, what, treason? 
and blasphemy. He claimed to be a king and neither the Romans nor the Jews could handle that. He was therefore an enemy of Rome, an enemy of the, of the ruling class of Jews. Anyone who wanted to take his body down risked putting their hand up and saying, I associate with that bloke. I associate with an enemy of the state. I associate with a person convicted of treason. And for that reason, the 11 disciples seem to stay in the shadows, as do all of his supporters, bar one. It's left to Joseph of Arimathea to make arrangements. We don't read much about Joseph, except that he was a high-ranking Jew. The, other, uh, the, the accounts here say that he was waiting for the kingdom of God himself, that's not necessarily that he was a believer in Jesus, but he was waiting, like all good Jews, for the kingdom of God to come. But the other Gospels tell us that he was a disciple of Jesus as well, but a disciple in secret. He's chosen this time to stand up and be counted bodily, expressing in his body what he believes to be true. In approaching Pilate, Joseph is showing his fellow Jewish leaders and the Roman Empire that he is standing with Jesus, standing with a convicted criminal, that he's on the side of an enemy of the state. He had a lot to lose, but it wasn't enough that he just believed it in his mind. He had to do something in his body to reflect what he believed. He was compelled to show it because what we do in our bodies matters. It was a demonstration of what he truly felt. So as the deadline counted down to the Sabbath, Joseph would have been working hard to get Jesus buried. He probably would have needed help. And he was influential, probably rich. He got some helpers, we would presume, to transport Jesus' body, to wrap it up in cloth, to lay it in a tomb and help to seal that tomb all in the space of a couple of hours. So even so far in the passage, we've seen two things. One, for the living, we use our bodies to express what's important to us. And two, even dead bodies matter. Jesus' body mattered, even as a corpse but what happens next shows us just how much his body mattered. From verse 47. Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph saw where he was laid. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so they might go anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll a stone away from the entrance to the tomb? This section takes the perspective of the women. It's one of the most significant statements about the status of women in God's kingdom because while from an earthly perspective they had a low status, in God's kingdom women are blessed with the first view of the resurrection, the first news of the resurrected body. And here we see their humanity 
their vulnerability, that's for sure. The two Marys hung back while Joseph of Arimathea took charge of the body of Jesus. Mark mentions that they watched on from a distance. That's so we can be sure that they knew where Jesus was buried. It's not right then to say that the women just turned up at the wrong tomb, saw it was empty and got the wrong idea. No, they didn't mistake where he was buried. The women saw where Jesus was laid. That's important. But Mark is moving through this narrative really quickly, right? It's worth stopping to appreciate what he doesn't canvas. There's a 24-hour gap in the narrative. But what an agonising 24 hours that would have been as the disciples grieve, as the women grieve. The women are the focus here, and in particular, their desire to honour Jesus' body is thwarted by the law that says they must not do, do this. And so the women are grieving, but they can't do what they want to do. They can't grieve in the way they want. They can't bodily express what they feel and know is right. It's a terrible thing when we're limited from expressing ourselves and these women are distraught about the loss of their Lord They want to honour him, but they're limited in how they show it. It's a terrible pain for mourning to be interrupted. Uh, You may have been uh, affected by the loss of a loved one during COVID. And if you were, you would have known about that difficult time when funerals were limited to 10 people, if at all. I know families who had to do the burial, but put off the memorial service until they could get the family actually together. It was a difficult time. They wanted to honour their loved one in the most appropriate way, but they had to wait up to two years to do it. My grandmother's funeral was way before COVID. I was young, so I don't remember much, but I do remember this. The coffin must have been larger than normal. And so it didn't fit in the hole that was dug. And so we were standing there in the rain, waiting for the final goodbye. And yet the coffin had to be put aside while the hole was dug a little bit larger. It's excruciating to have an interruption in the middle of grieving. It's excruciating to have an interruption in the middle of being able to pay respect to someone you love because bodies matter. And here too, the women are interrupted in their grief, limited in their expression of their love for the Lord. Their bodily limitation is frustrating. Bodies may be limited. Bodies may be frustrated. But bodies matter and what we do with them matters. That's why there's so much tension here. So the women make a plan that first thing Sunday, they'll make things right. But in their grief, they don't appear to be thinking straight. On their way, they realise they haven't considered that huge boulder that is yet another bodily limitation to how they can express what they know to be true. It's going to take at least six to ten men 
likely to lift that rock out of its track. Yet another barrier getting in the way of wanting to do what they know is right. But the last interruption is the most confounding of all. In the middle of their grief, we come to verse 4. When they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You were looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you'll see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. This is no ordinary interruption to their mourning. They're not just waiting to get access to the body or waiting to give it the treatment that it deserves. This interruption seems to suggest that their mourning is over. The stones rolled away and inside there is no death at all. Certainly there's no Jesus at all. Not Jesus' body, but someone is in there. It's a young man in a white robe with news of Jesus. Mark doesn't explain more about who he is, but the white robe agrees with the other Gospels that this is an angel. And the declaration that he brings makes sense of the entire gospel that we've been working through so far. Jesus the Nazarene was crucified, but he has risen and he's going ahead of you into Galilee and there you'll see him just as he told you. See, Jesus' body is no longer in the tomb, right? They didn't mistake the tomb. They had the right tomb and Jesus was no longer there. Jesus is no longer in the tomb. You might be familiar with this term, but it's called resurrection. And there's two points I want to make about the resurrection. The first is that the resurrection is crucial to the good news of our salvation. Jesus' death is important. Just like we heard last week, Jesus is the sacrificial lamb slaughtered as payment for our sins. Jesus' death was a payment to buy his people back from darkness, from isolation, from separation and buy them back into God's family by taking the payment, the punishment that their sins deserved. We heard that trusting in Jesus' death means that trusting in God, that our debt to God has been paid in full, that no longer do we face isolation, condemnation, separation because of Jesus' death. So that's why Jesus died, but do you know why he had to rise? Jesus' resurrection is the way that we can know for sure that Jesus' death did the job we say it did. Jesus' resurrection is the way that we can know the gospel is real and true. Because if Jesus' death is the payment for sin and Jesus is still dead, then the payment is still being made. The punishment is not complete 
the penalty isn't yet paid in full. And if the penalty hasn't yet been paid in full, then how can you be sure that the penalty was enough for you? How can you be sure that your sins are fully dealt with if Jesus remains dead? If Jesus remains dead, the penalty may still be unpaid and we lack that assurance that Jesus' death was enough, which is what we say in, in the Gospel. But in one short sentence, the messenger of Mark 16 assures us that our sins are dealt with. There is certainty he was crucified, he is now risen. Resurrection is the public declaration of Jesus' finished work in death. The resurrection confirms that Jesus has finished paying the penalty that your sins deserve and so everything that you have done wrong, you can now be assured that it is dealt with and it is forgiven and not just ongoing, but it is done in full because Jesus' work is finished and he's finished that process. It confirms that God is satisfied that Jesus' sacrifice was enough because he's returned Jesus to his rightful place, seated on the throne in heaven. That's the first point about the resurrection. It is proof that Jesus' death was enough for us. The second point about the resurrection is that it shows us the importance of the physical body. The importance of the body in God's kingdom. The resurrection is the most overwhelming evidence we have that bodies matter. Bodies matter so much that Jesus, who is God himself, came back to get his body and take it with him. We've been praying for our dear friend, Barbara. What a remarkable servant she has been. She had polio as a child and lost a lot of control of her body. That's continued to take its toll on her body over her life. Even this week, she's had new struggles. I managed to go and see her in hospital a couple of times and she's struggling with a body that doesn't quite work the way she'd like. Now, if you're like me, you might have already had a taste of that. There's always someone younger, faster, smoother skin, stronger knees, and we're left with these unresponsive, unwanted bits of flabby flesh. If the body were a car, we want the Ferrari, but we're stuck with some sort of old Volvo, Volvo with, with, with uh, wobbly wheels, and an oil leak, probably. It's not just older people who feel this. All of us feel this when we get sick, when we get injured, when we're confined to bed, when we're isolated for seven days. The body seems to weigh us down. It seems to prevent us doing what we know is right from doing what we want to do. But is that it? Is that all the body is? Is it just a shell that moves us around, that weighs us down? Is it just a jail for our souls and we're longing to be free of the body so that we can be perfect? We're just waiting, spirits waiting to shuffle off this mortal coil? 
as the saying goes. Ditch the corpse and soar like eagles. Well, that's not a Christian theology. The resurrection shows us that the body is so crucial that even Jesus came back for it. Jesus, who is God, who is a spirit, is universally and eternally connected to his body because bodies matter. He defied the natural order. He overcame the laws of physics to rescue his decaying body and take it with him perfected into his new life. In the other gospel accounts, we see examples of this. Jesus having real flesh, Jesus eating real food. His bodily limitations were gone, though. He could move through walls. But that wasn't because he ditched his body. It's because his body was made perfect. See, my friend Barbara is looking forward to Jesus perfecting her body too, just like we all are. Mark's account of the resurrection, though, is the shortest resurrection account of all the Gospels. I don't have time to go into the argument, but it appears that verses 9 through 20 of Mark, chapter 16, aren't part of the original text. Uh, But up to verse 8, we're on pretty safe ground. Verse 7 again. Go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you'll see him just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women fled. We don't have many words here, but what we have is more than enough. Mark's given us the empty tomb. He's given us the message that Jesus is risen, that Jesus has done what he said he'd do. It fits in with the two questions we've been working through through all of Mark's gospel. Who is this man and what has he come to do? This account clearly shows what Jesus has come to do, but in those early moments, the women are overwhelmed. Their bodies can't cope with the news that they've been given. The women flee, afraid, just like the rest of the disciples. And the clear question now to the reader is, what will we do with the news of the resurrection? This is how the first recipients responded. The women later came around, as did the other disciples. But how will you respond to the news of the resurrection? Either you disbelieve, you disbelieve the historical account here. You say the resurrection didn't happen. And if the resurrection didn't happen, then you have no assurance that you can be put right with God. You can have no assurance that Jesus has done enough to save you and to save me. There's no declaration that Jesus' death was enough because for some reason Jesus had to stay dead. If there's no resurrection, that's all you're left with at best. Is Jesus still paying the price for your sins and for mine? Did he fall short? In the words of the Apostle Paul, later on in the New Testament, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still dead in your sins. And those who have fallen asleep in Christ Jesus are lost. And also if you disbelieve the resurrection, you have no guarantee that bodies matter to God. 
You can abuse and degrade your body any way you see fit, therefore, because within a hundred years, your bodies will go back to being tree roots or worm food. And that's it. And within a hundred years after that, any memory of you and your body will likely be forgotten. That's a very depressing, a very bleak outlook. You may not believe in the resurrection, but you know you want to. Because it gives meaning and significance to our human experience. It confirms that we matter. Many of you are sure, though, that the historical account is true. You believe the words of the eyewitness that the resurrection did happen and that it was the public declaration of Christ's sufficiency for our sin. The penalty for our sins is paid and those who rely on Christ Jesus are forgiven. Christ has gone ahead of us, just as he said, to prepare a place for us in his kingdom. And if that's true, if the resurrection occurred, as the historical account here makes out, that has implications for your body as well. Christ wasn't just a spirit waiting to end his bodily experience so he could get on with real living. Christ's body isn't now just part of the Middle Eastern countryside in a tree somewhere. Christ's body was so important to him, he came back for it. His life is spiritual and bodily combined. The implication is this, bodies matter. And so what you do with your body today matters. It's not just a shell separate from your real life. Your bodily life is your spiritual life and your spiritual life is your bodily life. You worship God in spirit and in body. Your worship includes where you put your body at each time of the day. Your worship includes what you choose to speak with your mouth. You worship by what you choose to look at, by what you listen to. Music fans. You worship God by what you taste and what you touch. As Romans 12 puts it, and as we sang earlier, we offer our bodies in service to God, and that is our proper worship, what we do with our bodies. I think if you take this view that the body is crucial to your worship, uh, you'll start to reconsider everything that you do. If you think that the body is crucial in worship, you'll start to reconsider, why am I in this particular place at this particular time? Why am I sitting in this restaurant? Why am I sitting in this traffic jam? Why is my body here because I've had to choose what I do bodily and that should be a reflection of what I want spiritually. Your bodily presence matters to your family, to your church, not just like Pete said, off in the distance, being in spirit with us, but actually reflecting that bodily by being part of this meeting and other meetings of our church. And because the body is important, you'll also care for your body and care for bodies around you by eating well, by getting good rest. 
John Stott puts it this way, our feet will walk in his paths, our lips will speak the truth and spread the gospel, our tongues will bring healing, our hands will lift up those who've fallen, our arms will embrace the lonely, our ears will listen to the cries of the distressed and our eyes will look towards the resurrection. And even when your body is deficient, even when you're tired, even when you bear scars, the resurrection gives us assurance that God won't leave our bodies to decay either. Bodies matter. Jesus used his body to the extent of its potential and he got scars. But even then, he didn't just discard the body, he came back for it. Your body is so important that you'll be spending eternity in it. And the resurrection confirms God's plan to perfect our bodies as well because Christ is the firstborn of the resurrection. As 1 Corinthians 15 puts it, we look forward to the day when we will all be changed. In the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, the dead will be raised incorruptible, which means perfected. You can use your body for Christ now, knowing that if it tires you and if you get scars, that will be sorted out at the resurrection. Because in Christ, you are on the road to perfection. In Christ, you are on the, on the road to renewal. In Christ, you are on the road to resurrection. So how will you live today with that in mind? Is that something that makes you happy? Because if you're happy and you know it, <laughs> let's pray. Lord, help us to use our bodies to reflect our spiritual status. To worship you, not just in our heads and in our thoughts, but in our posture, but in our place, but in our perseverance in the body, doing acting as your servants. Lord, help us to be sure in our heads that the gospel is real, that Jesus' death was sufficient, and help us to look to the resurrection for that assurance. In his name we pray. Amen.